we all have our own path to walk. It may be obstructed, it may be winding, and no doubt it will have peaks and valleys, but it is ours alone. Like onlookers at a marathon, friends and family can offer encouragement along the way, but ultimately we decide the trajectory that we take. In this series, Juliet Doris Williams offers a clear view from her path that may inform your decisions as you move toward finding your faith. One part spirituality, one part real world practicality, and a serious splash of fun. Here's Juliet. Hi, I'm Juliet, and welcome to Finding Faith. I'm the author of two books, one of which is Leading Church Finding Faith Six Steps for Discovering Your Purpose in the World After Leaving the Christian Church and the primary focus of this podcast. You can find both of my books and how to contact me on my website at julietdoriswilliams.com. I am here in this space chatting with you sometimes about the book and sometimes about other things that may bubble up when we're talking about faith and life and how those two things intersect. Because if you are at all like me, they always, always intersect. Howdy there, Finding Faith listeners. I'm prepping and recording this episode during the July 4th weekend, also known as that flag fireworks and freedom weekend. And by the time you hear this, that weekend will be in your rear view, which is fine since this may have likely been a downer episode for you lovers of freedom. Speaking of love, particularly love of country. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. I haven't been feeling the love for a while. In June, just a few short weeks ago, we celebrated a new holiday in remembrance of Juneteenth. Hopefully, hopefully you were inundated with all of the hoopla uh, for surrounding that holiday enough to actually know what it was and why it was significant. I'm thinking really highly of you out there. So giving you all the praise and high fives for knowing or at least seeking information you might not have known prior. So don't make me out to be a liar. Okay. By the way, I wasn't feeling the love on that day either. This is what happens when you live in the real. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's like this. The historical significance of the day when enslaved peoples in Galveston, Texas, received the news that they were now free by law, a law that had been passed more than two years before. Yes, awesome that they finally were informed. But geez, Louise, where is the story about those enslavers who deliberately withheld that news? There is scant said about those folks who rather than free the human beings they held in bondage, they simply relocated to a Western state where they could continue exacting forced free labor out of the reach of the law. It's like, it's like we don't want to have that conversation. Yes, it is awesome that enslaved people were freed. Were there any consequences at all for those folks who were deliberately breaking the law? If so, I've not, yet, I've not yet come across that historical reference. Hey, if you have, send me it. Seriously. Much like we, those of us here in my country, at least don't want to have a conversation about how our judicial system has determined that they can 
exercise their power to turn a country back to the dark ages, a time before science, before information, and dare we say enlightenment, had made progress possible, progress for half the population anyway. Oh yeah, I'm talking about the overturning of Roe right here. So if you came here for more light and less heat, then this is not going to be that jam. Spreading the light has actually been my jam here in this space. Here in this space, my intention has been to encourage more love, more light, more space for dialogue, human to human. And that is still my intention. But as I've shared my personal mission, as I understand it in this moment, to illuminate the sacred journey toward truth, truth and wholeness in myself and others, there comes a time to simply put it all out there on the table. Not like I wasn't actually doing that before. But before was a different world. Before was where I felt like a free human with agency. Before was when I didn't feel an existential threat. That was before. This is now. Before, even when I was coming from the perspective of a person of African descent in these United States of America, I still had agency. I felt like I had agency by law, even if those laws were being trampled on by over-policing, mass incarceration, inequality, discrimination, et cetera. I still felt like I had agency. I had voice. I had power. Again, this is now. This now is when the state, not I, has the power to legislate the autonomy I have over my own body. This now, where the law can restrict my movement, can determine my health choices, can change the trajectory of my life and my future. Yeah, I'm not feeling the love, nor am I feeling generous toward these people who have deemed themselves the moral authority. In fact, I take issue with the notion that certain people believe they have the moral authority, particularly when they invoke their own religious views and practices in their decision-making power. Our country is not supposed to work like that. We fought a freaking war, the war of independence, to be free of forced adherence to the rule of a king. We've been taught that the pilgrims, pilgrims came to these shores to escape religious persecution. They wanted religious freedom. Granted, our history is seriously whitewashed, but I believe these are still the basic facts. It's almost like we forgot. Sort of like, well, there's the law, but we're going to find ways to flout that law, much like those enslavers who moved their human cargo west to a place out of reach of the law of the land at the time. I recently read a story on the socials from a woman whose husband decided he would get a vasectomy in light of the overturning of Roe. They had already decided that they didn't want any more children. So given this new reality, he was going to do his part. The question came up as to whether or not she should remove her IUD. She decided against it. Why? Because 
what if she was ever sexually assaulted and became pregnant as a result? She lives in a state where there is no exceptions for rape. This is the life of everyday women. We need to be prepared against pregnancy just in case we are sexually assaulted because the law in some places gives us no reasonable course of action. But Juliet, you say, she will have six weeks in most of these states that have these laws and rules in place. And with that question, my dear listener, you have demonstrated that you don't know crap about how women's bodies work. And yes, how those laws will impact women will differ from state to state, a lot like how the system of slavery worked. Whether or not you were considered free depended on the state you found yourself living in. Whether or not you were considered free, according to our so-called founding fathers and the documents they put forth as our guiding principles, really depended on three things, three life statuses in life. Were you white? Were you male? Were you a landowner? These guiding principles and the man, the men who wrote them seemingly had no cognitive dissonance between the words they spoke and the actions they took. More to the point, the actions they didn't take, given their supposed belief systems. And here we are in 2022, where whether or not a woman has bodily autonomy depends on what state she finds herself living in. And the great state of Texas, again, has taken it a step further by deputizing private citizens to enforce these state laws and rules, much like the slave catchers who were empowered to capture runaway slaves, even if they were in so-called free states. And there were laws in place that allowed this, even in those so-called free states. There is now talk in the air of outlawing the ability of pregnant women to cross state lines to see to their reproductive health. Playing out that tape, will those modern day slave catchers in Texas be able to exercise their new power across state lines? Will they be able to restrict the exercise of choice in a state that has those, that has those laws in place? And will those states offer safe sanctuary for the women who come to them? Or will they simply turn a blind eye to those modern day slave catchers who come across their state lines, breaking their laws? Interesting parallels, don't you think? I'm not being hyperbolic. This is our history, repeating. These good people, the ones making these rules and laws, believe they are doing God's work because they have designated themselves as the arbiters of God's morality. Good Christian people, a lot of them. You know who else were good Christian people? Slave owners, Ku Klux Klan members, other past white nationalist group who turned lynchings into a town square community event. <laughs> Juliet, some of you are saying you're exaggerating. Am I though? The parallels are plain to see. But this podcast is about finding faith, being faithful, even in the dark times. Years ago, when I was still immersed in church institution, a sister church member accused me of being a Democrat. 
she was half right. Because back then, sometimes I was a Democrat and sometimes I was a Republican. It just depended on the issue, uh, the platform and the person running for office. She went further to say that Christians can't be Democrats. So she was really accusing me of not being Christian in a super polite way. I thought of her recently. We've, we've long lost touch, but I've wondered if she still holds that position that Christians can't be Democrats. This was well before I surrendered to the call to ministry, well before I began my seminary journey, because if she and I were having that conversation now, I would challenge her thought process. I might say something shocking like, well, even God was pro-choice. I imagine she would stare at me aghast, shocked, shocked, I say, that I would say such a thing. In this imaginary conversation, I would remind her that in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Do this and live. Do that and die, as the story goes. And because they chose the path of death, again, as the story goes, none of us would be here. There is no alternative to that story. There is no multiverse story that chronicles what life would have been like had Adam and Eve chose to forever eat from the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My point, God gave choice. God gave free will. So these good people out here spouting off about God's will, go read your Bibles, people. What I'm saying here is not new information. I would go a step farther in my imaginary conversation and remind her of the story of Jesus who refused to condemn anyone, particularly that woman who was caught in adultery, apparently all by herself because no one cared about the man she was allegedly committing adultery with. There, right there is another parallel to the now in terms of how people who can become pregnant, like, like we are self-pollinating, self-sperminating, I guess, would be the more accurate term. Anyway, I digress. Jesus invited the one who was without sin to begin the punishment of this woman for her egregious sin. And they all slunk away in shame as they should have. In this imaginary conversation, I would ask my former sister church member, when did those who make these laws become sinless judges of what is moral? And in what universe and what God gives them the right to speak for her? More to the point, who told them they could put words in God's mouth? Finally, I would ask my former sister church member, and I'm asking anyone who's listening, anyone who may still be connected to a church community, that, that, that any of this sounds or feels familiar to what I'm describing here. If God is all powerful, if God is all knowing, if God is all present at all times, that God who created the earth created the moon, created the universe, who created all things and could just as easily take us out when they wanted to. Remember that flood story starring Noah and his family and a big boat? When did that God become so weak and frail that they needed finite humans to fight their battles? When did your God become so small? 
For the record, I don't know that small God. The God I know is a big God, a merciful God, a loving God that doesn't want or need tiny humans to fight his battles. The God I know is too big to fit into our tiny mental tropes and narratives we call we tell ourselves about her. The God I know is bigger than our holy books. The God I know is way bigger than that tiny box we try to put them in. The God I know is pro-choice. The God I know is also good with lots of descriptive pronouns. Do with that what you will. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Finding Faith. Thank you.